How many know about the $10,000 pyramid? Anybody remember watching that? Uh, Dick Clark, I think, started it. Okay. We're going we're gonna to start today with playing the $10,000 pyramid without the $10,000. And, and I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give the winner something. How's that? I got a, a piece of chalk. I give, I give somebody a piece of chalk. Um, but you know that the, the category is shown to the person giving the clues, okay? Karen's going to be the person with the category. She's going to be giving the clues. And all of you are the contestants. Who's got a stopwatch on your, on your phone? Uh, okay. Uh, we're going to, w- when she gets up here and um, gives the first clue, start it. And we'll see how quick someone guesses the category. Okay? She, it, it could be one word, multiple words. She just can't say anything that is in the wording of the category. The category is my title for my message. So I kind of covertly did the announcement so that. I think I even put pyramid on there, didn't I? Yeah, we're playing the pyramid. So Karen, you ready to go? All right, get right up here. And, and uh, when she gives the first clue, this is a category, if you remember how this works. So... Uh, you and I will have to listen because we're the only ones who know the category. So we'll try to discern who says the category first. But, you know, at you least... Shout it out. Yeah. Okay. All right. Raise your hand and shout it out. Have a this is the category, all right? I'm hurting. Complaint. I'm in trouble. My friend is in trouble. Prayer. Keep going. Yeah, that's... Um, I have a need. Second grade titles. <laughs> I just got bad news from the doctor. Prayer. Prayer. Request. My children are in the We're getting close. Prayer is in it, but it hasn't been in the qualifying statement. How about faith? How about attitude? How about persistence? Obedience. Waiting for a winner. I may not have to give a prize today. There's a particular word that all of those... I almost said the word. <laughs> Do what? No. Now, no. Remember, faith. You don't pray for. You don't pray for. Well, you can pray for faith. Faith, obedience, persistence. Things that affect prayer. Things that affect prayer. All right, y'all just need to watch the uh, show a little bit more. <laughs> I don't think it's on anymore.
I guess I made it too hard. Um, two, of the, two of the lists, I had a list of about seven um, of things that affect prayer, affect the outcome of prayer. And two of those things that I wrote down is in Mark chapter 11. So if you'll turn there, Mark chapter 11, things that affect prayer. Because we're in this 40-day prayer challenge. And uh, here's one of the things I said at the start of the year. Can I reconstruct my life at this point in my life? Uh, the old adage, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. And I'm, I, don't, I refuse to qualify myself as an old dog. So I still believe that I can learn and change and reconstruct. And I'm doing some things different at the start of the year. I'm... Uh, I, be, I belong to a couple of resources. One is WIRE. This is for men, W-I-R-E. Um, and the guy who started this, his wife has a, a twice-weekly devotional for ladies called Loop. And um, I've sent the, the link to the uh, Teresa and uh, Ash because of them involved in men. But just trying to get more to speak into me, keeping me structured and... Um, this is Lent. You know, some people give up stuff for Lent. Uh, I told Brenda yesterday, and, and she's homesick. I picked her up from the airport when she got in, and she started coughing. I like, I don't like that cough. And laid hands on her and prayed for her, and she got home with the bed. So uh, she says she's feeling a little bit better this morning, but she was very sick uh, getting off the plane. And I hated to, to see her like that, but uh, praying for God to touch her. But I told her, I says, you know, one of the things that I dearly love to read is Twitter. And, I, and, if you, and, if you, and if you put something on Facebook and you say, did you see such and such? I'm not one of those, like a sister I have, that walks around watching her Facebook alerts. Because I know that because if I post something on Facebook, she likes it like in three seconds. <laughs> I'm like, Wow. But I don't go to Facebook that much, but I like to read. So I gave up Twitter yesterday, and it was really neat for me to, to, to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of carve out some of the things I give my time to and focus more on what the Lord wants to do. So there's two things in this story. Uh, I don't know if uh, apologetics probably will, and some, some of the other students might have heard of this guy, J. Warner Wallace. How many have heard of him? J. Warner Wallace. <laughs> okay, Robin. Um, he, uh, his profession was a cold case investigator. That was his profession. And as a Christian, he took those dynamics and he went after a, an apologetic defense of the Gospels. And so a cold case investigator... Um, looks at, has to look at the evidence meticulously because it's a cold case for a reason, right? Because the evidence was weak, so these guys go in and they, they try to microscopically look at any detail, anything that would give them a slant as to solving that case. When his cold case Christianity, which is a book kind of like Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and all these people have different Lee Strobel haven't read any of them. It's a good read. But J. Warner Wallace, there's, a, there's something about the, the gospel according to Mark that you need to realize. And that is this. John Mark 
was not one of the 12 disciples. So where did he get his information? The, the general consensus is that Peter was his source. That later on in Mark's experience, ministry-wise, ministry he and Peter were in Rome at the same time, and he was kind of like an interpreter for Peter in certain cases, and he listened to Peter's preaching and teaching and from their conversations. And all of the information that's in Mark came from Peter. J. Warner Wallace, uh, or J. Warner Wallace said this, that uh, one of the early church fathers, Bishop Papyrus, wrote this. And this is what you have to do. You have to go back to the earliest church fathers' references. And this is what one of the men who lived in the first century wrote about Mark. The elder, which is a reference to the apostle John, used to say this. Mark became Peter's interpreter and wrote accurately that all he remembered, not Indeed, in order of the things said and done by the Lord. For he had not heard the Lord, Mark had not heard the Lord personally, nor had followed him, but later on followed Peter, who used to give teaching as necessity demanded, but not making it as if it were an arrangement of the Lord's oracles. In other words, Peter wasn't dictating this gospel to Mark, but Mark was accumulating these stories And this is a story we're going to look at in Mark chapter 11. When you begin to read this, you realize that this is the start of the Passion Week. This is Palm Sunday. That's how Mark 11 starts, is on Palm Sunday. So uh, about finding the, the, uh, the donkey that Jesus is going to ride into the city, and this is how this chapter starts. I'm not going to read that part, but I want to take you to verse 12. This is what we're going to look at in this activity. Are you there? Mark 11, verse 12. It's a familiar story. We're going to look at it in a little bit more closely manner. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Isn't that an interesting notation? And his disciples heard him say it. I don't even know why they put that in there, but it's kind of like maybe, maybe Peter is like, and we all heard it. We might not have said anything to him, but we all heard this. What is this about? Jesus is telling this fig tree, you know, somebody might say, well, you know, maybe Martha and Mary didn't fix some breakfast and he was like a little short. (laughs) You know, I don't know. He just, he was hungry though. They were were told that. And he went to this fig tree expecting to find fruit on it, but he didn't find any. And he basically, if you're a Bible that, that has these, Breaks that tells you Jesus curses the fig tree. How many have that in there? Jesus curses the fig tree. The next thing you read, though, is connected in a real specific way. So I want you to just stay with me because we're going to keep reading in verse 15. They head on from this incident with the fig tree. They head on into the city. Jesus enters the temple courts 
and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. To me, that's a little overreaction. <laughs> uh, let's kill him. You know, I'm like, I don't get this. But the chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Just another friendly day in the life and ministry of Jesus. He is basically disturbing the status quo. And these leaders, these priests, the people in charge of the ministry, react in such a way it's hard to fathom that they wanted to kill the man. These are the people entrusted with going to God on behalf of people. Knowing the law, knowing thou shalt not kill. You know, that's pretty definitive, right? And they're absolutely doing that kind of planning. They are the fig tree with no fruit. They are the fig tree with just leaves, but no substance to them. These stories are connected. I'm not, I'm not kind of doing a reach here, and I'm not even sure how much Jesus planned that morning, whether he knew ahead of time when he got to the tree. Uh, uh, you know, I think maybe it was kind of an innocuous. He, he sees a fig tree, and anybody knows when you, you, you can tell a fig tree. Right? They got humongous leaves. I have two. I, I love my fig trees. Now, we don't know, we do not know specifically what time of the year Jesus was born. And I hope I'm not messing up anybody's December. (laughs) But we don't know. We celebrate his birth on December the 25th, but we really do not know the time of the year. It, It very well could not, maybe not be winter because there were shepherds. Well, we're not even going to go there. I don't want to mess somebody's you know, nativity scene up. But there's one thing for sure. We know exactly the time of the year that Jesus was crucified and was raised from the dead. It was Passover, and Passover is always in the springtime. Passover is always in spring. So this fig tree, and if you go back to Chapter 9, I'm going to refer to chapter 9 in here in just a moment. But if you go back to the early words of chapter 9, Jesus is involved with two communities, Bethany and Bethphage. And Bethphage is a word meaning house of figs. So there were fig trees dotting the community and the landscape. And so this particular tree, he spotted it. I will never know if what he was doing was all planned. But we know this. That when he got there, expecting to find fruit on it, he cursed it when he did not find fruit. But what about that little statement there? Because it was not the season for figs. 
You know, and, and we, don't, we don't even know, I don't know, my, my imagination. I just imagine those 12 disciples watching that, and we all heard him say that. I mean, they even said that, and they all heard him say that. And they go in the city, and then he starts turning tables over. And it's kind of like said, you know why that fig tree really got him going, didn't it? <laughs> Could you kind of draw that conclusion? <laughs> said, you know, somebody should have given him a fig bar or something, you know, like. I, who knows what they, what they were concluding. How many times did Jesus say things and do things that they all collectively scratched their heads? And some of the things he said and did, they didn't even realize what was going on until he was resurrected and ascended. That whole thing on the Mount of Transfiguration, they didn't get it. He told them specifically when he was coming down off that mountain, I'm going to be killed and in three days be raised from the dead. And they're looking at him and saying, I wonder what that meant. <laughs> it's probably a metaphor for something. Yeah. Because they didn't get it. And it says it was not the season for figs. Get this. You can mark this down. I firmly believe that Jesus did not curse the tree because there was no ripened figs. It was no evidence that it was going to bear figs. Because I can tell when my fig trees, and I love my fig trees, when they start leafing out, I go out and start looking, and there's buds all over the place. And last year, this past year, it was like, yes. I don't know. I have, I have such a fun time with my two fig trees because I like to make strawberry-flavored fig preserves. And, uh, yeah, some, some of you have tasted, and, and I can't make it widespread because it's got an addictive quality to it. So... But the, the frost came, a late frost came I had. It was loaded, and it killed all but that's like a few of the leaves and all the figs. I went out there in mourning. I was like, no, no, you couldn't have done this. Now, I got some figs later on. The, the, the latter part, I tell you, James Evans, you ever want figs? Just go see James, and uh, if you can weather the bees and everything... But Jesus went there and he didn't, it's not that he didn't find, it says it was not the season for harvesting. If it was leafed out, it should have had at least some figs on it. And I think possibly he was thinking that maybe there might be some close to being ripe. But when he got there, he found that it had none. It was useless. And he basically killed it. So, what did Jesus... Was this is an object lesson? I think it was an object lesson. I think he was pointing when he was heading into Jerusalem. And, and the chapter starts out when he came into town. He looked around, and because it was late in the day, he turns around and leaves. And it's the next morning that he goes out and finds this fig tree that does not have any figs on it at all. Because you're seeing Jesus react to what was going on in the temple. Now, here's what was going on in the temple. These people had figured out that all these out-of-towners coming for Passover were not bringing their own doves and not bringing their own animals. So they find out that uh, the economic 
rule, supply and demand works. And they set up shop. They had all kinds of, there's all kinds of vendors out there. And they were selling doves, they were selling animals, but there was also gouging the people. And they were in the temple courtyard, which was a no-no. And Jesus went through saying, this is absolutely, and I like this part where it says, and he wouldn't let them carry any merchandise to the temple courtyard. Not only did he turn the table, he says, y'all, get out. All of this is leading up to something. Now I want you to go to verse 20. And this is the day after he cleanses the temple, okay? Are you with me? Still, he's connect the dots with me here, okay? So in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered, and you can just kind of be in Mark's place, that Peter was telling him, says, Now I remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, teacher, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. The fig tree you cursed yesterday, yesterday morning, is dead. <laughs> it's withered. It's like, what happened to it? Things don't die that quick. And he's asking, look at this. Look at this. And what does Jesus say to him? <laughs> it's almost like, okay. I don't know. I, I love this. I love the things about God's word. And he looks at Peter and says, have faith in God. <laughs> well, that, that explains that. That explains that. Have faith in God. Okay. And what? This was nothing but an object lesson to his disciples. He is telling them, don't trust the appearance of things that look alive. Trust God. You go out of your way to something that looks good, and you get there, and it doesn't have anything to add to your life. And he's telling them, you can waste your time going to fig trees, to things that look like they can minister to you and help you. And when you get there, it's a waste of your time. You better trust God instead of that. That's what he's saying. What is faith? Is it not trusting God? Well, that's why I like that song, Blessed Assurance. What does assurance mean? What's another word for assurance? Faith? What else? Confidence. I have the confidence. Don't you wish that everything we prayed for, we had a confidence for it? Because when it doesn't happen, we're not surprised. And this is why he's telling these men. And he didn't just start teaching on faith here. But he was getting close to the finish of his journey and he's impressing upon them that there's things that appear alive here. There's activity in these courtyards. There's all kind of pomp and circumstance here. But there's nothing here as long as people like this are in charge. So don't trust this. Trust God. Put your confidence in God. Things that affect uh, prayer, one of the key ones is faith, is it not? Look at what Jesus said following. Are you still there? 
I stopped at 22. Look at what Jesus... If you don't think this is about prayer, just keep reading with me. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in... How about that? Whatever you ask in prayer, faith, believe, faith, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I'm not going to read verse 5 right now, but stop right there. He's standing on a landscape, the Mount of Olives, where there was a fig tree that in their eyes the day before looked alive and it was alive full of leaves, as though it was producing fruit. The next morning, this is, this is the morning, the next morning, they're standing there looking at it like, what in the world? It's dead, it's dead from the roots, his leaves are gone, it's, it's, it's withered overnight. And he says, standing on that landscape, are you following me? Stay with me. Standing on that landscape, He tells them, have faith in God. And if you say to this entire landscape, not just to this tree, but he's telling them, you can take authority over the whole landscape of what is fruitless and what is barren and what stands in your way of life. He says, you have... Now, let me ask you this. When we're reading this, is this just for them or is this for us? Is what in the scriptures right here have anything to do with us? Should we pay attention to this? Or are we just reading a historical thing and it was there and we're here and none of this relates to us? Is that that it? And if we believe that, I don't even know why we're here. I've told someone one time, that to, to come to church and not worship the Lord and not get anything out of it, I think I'd just rather be a sinner. Because it's kind of worse. It's worse to go through the motions and act like we are if we're not really living it. I kind of have respect for people that says, you know what, there's no need for me to go to church because the roof would call, uh, fall in because, ah, look at me. Because they, they know where they're at. And God can convict them because they know the reality of where they're at. The danger for us is keep going to fig trees that have no fruit on it and just keep praying for the next season to bear something. When God tells us to go on and find life in Him by putting confidence in Him, He says you can say that this whole mountain... And what He, he wasn't talking about a, a bigger problem. He was just saying... The authority that happened over that tree is the authority that can happen over your life. If there's things in your way, if there's things impeding you, no matter what it is, it can look like a mountain. He says, you come to a place where you trust God. You come to a place where you put your confidence in God, where you, where you just work through the questions and the, like Peter, look, teacher... The tree is dead. He says, Peter, this wasn't a demonstration. This was a lesson. 
Have faith in God, buddy. Put your trust in God. You know, it goes back. It goes back to chapter 9. It does. All, these are all connected, by the way. Because chapter 9 is the transfiguration, right? And Peter, James, and John, and Jesus comes off a mountain. They just had this kind of impromptu visit with Elijah and Moses. Not bad. And they come down, and there's an argument. He comes, he's walking toward the, the other nine disciples, and they're arguing with these priests and these teachers of the law, and there's a commotion going on, and he walks over wondering what is going on here, and this guy steps out from the crowd and says, I have a son that's got an evil spirit, in, and I brought him to your disciples to, to cast his evil spirit out, and they couldn't do it. You remember what Jesus said? Hmm? Well, he said, how long am I going to put up with it? But he says, oh, unbelieving generation. He was telling those guys that the reason that didn't work is that you didn't really believe it would work. The reason it didn't work, because, you know, some translations said by prayer and fasting, like later on, they said, why couldn't we do it? He says, this only comes out by prayer. And some translation says fasting. But... But listen, they didn't, they didn't pray. But one thing we do know, they didn't have faith. Right? He said, oh, unbelieving generation. He wasn't talking to the people. He's talking to those nine men. He says, how long am I going to have to put up with you? And then he says, bring the boy to me. And when the boy is brought to Jesus... It says specifically the evil spirit in that kid saw Jesus and threw that little boy into a horrible convulsion, like a seizure. And I love this. I just love reading this. Jesus looks, looks at the father and says, how long has he been doing this? Oh, from a little guy. And uh, he sees everybody kind of doing this. And he cast that evil spirit out of that kid. But before he did, this guy said this to Jesus. Uh, If you can, help us. If you can, help us. You remember? The guy says, if you can help us, please help us. And Jesus repeats this first words in a question. If you can, (laughs) it's like, you're questioning me? If you can? He said this, all things are possible to them who believe. All things are possible. He's telling the man, all things are possible to you, sir, if you believe, if you have faith. And what did the man say? It's classic. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Before that kid was delivered, Jesus was still teaching on faith, was he not? He was, tell, he was rebuking his disciples because maybe while they were up on the mountain visiting with Elijah and Moses, they might have been playing dominoes or doing something. But one thing about it, 
when they were faced with a... And Jesus fully expected, he fully expected that they would be able to handle that. Did, did he not? His reaction was, and I, I think he's almost saying to them, you could have handled this. You could have handled this by your focus and by your trust and by your belief. This can come out. This is not an unsolvable problem with this kid. This can work, but it has to work through faith and through prayer and believing. There's one more thing I'm going to share before I finish up with. Things that affect prayer. Faith is one of them, right? But verse 25 tells us there's something else that affects. 